of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. Another episode of Radio Contra. It is very good to be back with you on this very hot and humid Carolina Saturday. And uh, back here at home in the gorilla camp and getting back down to work. Um, Had a very interesting week this week. So I'm getting caught up on the emails coming right off of a couple of classes that we had out in Tennessee, of course. Fighting Carbine, as well as Intelligence Collection and Tradecraft. And that class, let me tell you something. That class, I haven't taught in two and a half years, and this was the first time that I offered it to the public. Um, I had not previously taught it to groups uh, or, or to public groups, to a mixed bag crowd, uh, open enrollment, whatever you want to call it. Um, but previously, I had never done that. I had only done it for groups, and there were certain conditions that had to be uh, met before I would teach that class. And so um, got talked into it and uh, got coaxed into it by uh, a couple of people who were really asking for it, saying, hey, you know, these skills that, you know, you, you teach the small unit tactics stuff, you teach the communications, you teach uh, firearms handling and all that, but the urban tradecraft, right? Urban tradecraft, and, and it's not specific to urban areas because we, we're in a rural area in a very small uh, very localized urban area that was, you know, less than two square miles. Right, but um, people really need those skills. I mean, we talk about gray man, quote unquote. Um, you know how to be a gray man, and there's there's a lot of stuff that's out there floating around on that. Some of it is very good. A lot of it, uh, like everything else on the internet, a lot of it is really bad. When something becomes a, a buzzword, quote unquote, um, and it it ends up in the parlance of preppers or, you know, whatever, the armed and prepared citizen, right? Whatever it is that you want to call it, making yourself a hard target or a harder target for the uncertain times that we have coming down the pipe. Those skills, those basic awareness skills, the tradecraft, the uh, looking at everything in a working environment as uh, through a, through a very specific lens is it, it really something that I think everybody needs. And, and it's proven over and over again. Uh, the case of Elijah Dickerson, of course, we know um, that, you know, the, the uh, Indianapolis kid that, that uh, put down the would-be mass shooter. Um, these are all very relevant things. I mean, it, it's not necessarily just spycraft that, uh, you know, you, you're, you're getting out there being all sneaky Pete about everything. But no, it, it's actually understanding your environment. Threats don't just come out of nowhere. Okay, they don't just come out of nowhere. And there's certain trends that you need to understand about your specific working environment um, that, that preclude certain things. Um, you know, for example, during that class, we had... Uh, you know, I always show up a day early 
and uh, do certain things to make sure that the uh, the the class environment, whatever the course is, is going to be suitable. You know, that way you're not blindsided by things. You have some some standoff distance to react to small upsetters, to what we used to call fragos or fragmentary orders, or, you know, small little things, little curveballs that get thrown your way. And um, for the intelligence course, I always show up a day early when I'm teaching that and I surveil the locations that we're going to be do, uh, doing the different exercises that I have the students do. And it's all building up towards something. And it just so happens that when I am surveilling this particular environment where we taught the class, that uh, posted up in a place was watching kind of, you know, the, the coming and going, establishing a baseline for who's there, who's not. And this just so happens to be kind of a, a touristy place in eastern Tennessee, and, and there's a lot of faces that are coming and going in flux. Well, it just so happens that I'm surveilling a couple of different locations that don't really seem to fit. Um, they, they're a little different. They're a little artsy-craftsy. They're uh, not really what you would see in a small rural mountain town that is mostly impoverished. Okay, so their, their socioeconomic status is fairly low, but then you have this uh, high rent place that just pops up. Well, the other thing that I noticed that was very interesting was they didn't have a lot of people coming and going. So you got a bunch of money that's being dumped into this place, but not a lot of clientele. And even among the tourists, not a lot of clientele. All right, so this is something that maybe you want to pay attention to. And it just so happened that there were some other clues that maybe this place is, uh, I, I won't say a target of interest, but certainly something that we needed to pay attention to. And throughout the course, we paid closer attention to it. We got a, a little bit of close target reconnaissance going on. Some of the things that I taught these students in class to do when you are closing in on a target and you're there for fact-finding uh, operations and you're trying to get a, uh, gain a greater understanding of things that are potential threats in your environment. And it just so happens that this place not only had a whole other section in the building that they owned that was set up to be an Airbnb, but when we checked it out on the Airbnb, they were not taking any reservations. So this was very, very fascinating. All the people that they had coming and going out of there were very young, uh, college-age students, and all the people who were coming in and out were likewise. They obviously didn't live in that locale. They were not native to there. And so they're coming in and out. They're constantly going in flux, and there's a lot more money being dumped into this place than what they are turning over, right? So you could say, when you're making an assessment that maybe this is just a, a tax write-off for somebody, maybe there's an outside investor that's uh, wealthy and they just want to own a coffee shop, right? Stranger things have happened. Well, that's where your questions come in. And sending students in at different times while I'm sitting back across the street in another location, um, they begin to ask very targeted questions and they're moving in and out. And so to the target, they really didn't know any different. They just thought that they had several different customers who were coming in, but these were actually all people who were linked together and a little bit of other trade craft that was taught in class. We found out that that Airbnb was in fact a flop house and relying on some local knowledge. We had a couple of people in class who were local to the area and familiar with the previous owner of that building who had recently sold it and this coffee shop got established. Just so it turns out that they were from California. Not only were they from California, they were academic types, liberal arts types, and their income really did not match the building that they had bought. So after a quick lesson in clandestine photography, how to 
gain intelligence, how to uh, gain information that we're going to refine into intelligence through all sources. We began to paint a much bigger picture of what's actually going on. So, you know, these are things that you really need to be paying attention to and developing and cultivating in your working environment. Okay. Does it mean that this place is a threat? No. But the people who were coming and going certainly had a lot of context cues that maybe they are involved in some of the left-wing activism that's going on throughout the greater part of the region. Of course, we know that there is a very, very active cell, uh, overt cell of Antifa that's working in Asheville which isn't too far from where we were there. There's also uh, plenty of activity that's going on in nearby Knoxville, as well as over into Tennessee. They have a very, very uh, broad and well-established network. And so you have to understand that even though they do that, even though they have that, there's plenty of ways that you can identify this. And it's the first piece, okay? It's the first part of all of this. So uh, anyway, great class, very, very successful. Of course, we had Fighting Carbine course, which I had a heck of a lot of fun teaching as well. Um, had a handful of first-time shooters, uh, first-time folks that, that ever had taken a, a formal firearms course before, uh, including a husband and wife combo, which I was extremely proud of. And, you know, what, what we see is that these skills are, are extremely relevant, okay? If you're not getting formal training, if you are not getting out there and you're not training with people who have verified bona fides, who have been there, who have done that, and who have references, I mean, who else have they trained? And, uh, you know, what, what kind of reputation do they have? You need to be getting out there and training. I mean, you know... People don't just walk into fights, into professional fights, without a substantial amount of training. You know, you don't begin driving. Like, we, we don't just give people driver's licenses. Oh, well, maybe that's a bad example. Maybe we kind of do. Right? But you, you have to have some sort of training. Right? So, anyway, the point is, behind all that, is you need to be getting out there and doing it. Folks, I know, I know, I know, I know that... Budgets are getting a little bit tight. I mean, the Biden economy is in really bad shape. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of speculation on greater fear that's going on. But seriously, if you know, you're sitting there and you're hoarding up ammo and you're buying all the guns and all the things, right, you owe it to yourself to get a little bit of professional training. Okay, you owe it to yourself to do that. And, um, you know, that's, that's about all I can say about that. And, and be training in as broad a topic base as possible, right? Because I'm telling you, it is going to pay off. We are headed towards an insurgency, and we're going to be talking about that specifically in this episode. I'm going to be breaking that down. Uh, but first, I want to give a quick shout-out to the show sponsors. Of course, CivilDefenseManual.com, Civil Defense Manual 2, volume set by Jack Lawson. I wrote the communications chapter in that book. You definitely need those books. It is going to help you by leaps and bounds for what very well may be coming down the pipe and coming soon. It's coming quick. Uh you know, if if people are, are talking about the various prices of things, the uh, consumer price index to the roof, the Fed is uh, weighing, making a bunch of decisions like, look, you need to be doing everything you can to get yourself as well prepared for that as possible. And a big step in doing that is getting the reference material written by bona fide experts in their respective crafts who are going to be able to help you. Okay, civildefensemanual.com is exactly that, civildefensemanual.com. All right, next on the list, Blacksmith Publishing, Mike Blackburn, Paul LeFevre, two legends in the special operations community, all around great guys. I was 
on the Pinelander podcast with them, and that episode is going to be airing on the 29th of July. So just six days from today, that episode is going to be airing. I was uh, very blessed to be on with them again. I'm going to have them on again in the near future, uh, probably next week or uh, or maybe the following week. We're working on the schedule right now. It, but uh, that episode, the Pinelander podcast, you need to listen to it. It was straight fire. And uh, as always, I really enjoy being on the air with them. But Blacksmith Publishing, their company, U.S. Army. Small Unit Tactics Handbook, which is the course handbook for the Special Forces Small Unit Tactics School, which is part of the larger Special Forces Qualification course. All right, so the the course that Green Berets go to when they're learning Small Unit Tactics, these guys wrote the handbook for it. Okay, I don't know what more uh, solid bona fides you need, but they've got a lot of other great books out as well. One of the best books that I've ever read on land navigation. They have published Iron Sharpening Iron, which is an incredible uh, reference. If you are a red-blooded American man, you need to have that book. You owe it to yourself to have that book in your personal library. Uh, it Personally, it got me through some very hard times in my life. Uh, when I got out of the Army, the first couple of years of, of doing the Brush Beater blog and um, really trying to find my way and, and get that voice of assurance. And, and um, you know, because when you get out of the Army, as, as every vet knows, when you get out of the service, you're used to having this family around you and you're used to having all these people around you, you know, and, and when you're getting out, you know, and at the time when I got out, I was so angry and, and uh, had a lot of pent-up bitterness and, and for a lot of reasons, for a lot of reasons, right? I could write an entire book on, on specifically why I got out. But when I got out, all of a sudden, like a lot of folks experience, I, did, I no longer had that, that family atmosphere. I no longer had my boys. I no longer had my fellow NCOs. I... Didn't I didn't have all my drinking buddies that we shared all our experiences with. I didn't have any of that. And you feel separated. You feel really cast off, cast aside. And as things go on, you, know, you look for those answers. And uh, having a, a good friend of mine handed me a copy of Iron Sharpening Iron and said, hey, you, know, you, you need to read this book. I think it would do you a lot of good. It absolutely did. It absolutely did. And I think that it can for you too. So Blacksmith Publishing, I put up a link fairly often, uh, fairly often on AmericanPartisan.org. So definitely click on that. It is it it, it is certainly uh, well worth your time and well worth the read. Um, but anyway, Blacksmith Publishing, can't say enough good about them. Last, my very good friend and frequent guest of the show, Joe Dolio, with his Tactical Wisdom series, available on Amazon. Joe is an incredible guy, uh, former Marine, personal security consultant. The guy's got a resume that is an absolute mile long, and I'm telling you, he, he's a heck of a lot of fun to drink with as well. But uh, we're going to be having him back on again this coming week, our schedules are aligning properly, and I'm really excited for that as well, getting his up-to-date breakdown of what is going on in the world. Now, he predicted that Moldova would be next after Ukraine. There's already some movement headed in that direction. All right, so you heard it first. You heard it first a, a couple of months ago now. A couple of months ago, you heard it first, and now here we are. All right, now here we are. So... Uh, Tactical Wisdom Series, three-volume set. He's got a fourth volume that is closing in fast and uh, is going to be getting out there. I'm not sure about the launch date, but that is certainly something that I'm going to be talking to him about uh, when his next book drops, the next time that I get him on here. So anyway, with all of that said, let's get after it. All right, so half of Americans see a civil war 
on our horizon. Half of Americans see a civil war on our horizon. You know, to the, the longtime listeners of this podcast, to the longtime readers of mine throughout the years, back before I had a podcast that was consistently uh, in the top 10 of news commentary over on Podbean and available on all of the streaming platforms. Right now we're trending number two in the search results of Podbean across their entire site, all the podcasts that are on there. Trending number two, and, and that's all of you. But uh, as far as you know, the 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 whole purpose behind my writing and a lot of other folks in the preparedness community, this isn't really news, right? But to folks who maybe are coming late to the game of preparedness, and I'm going to be doing some stuff specifically for you folks in the very near future because a lot of people they kind of like oh man you know I, I should have started prepping a decade ago or longer and I'm so far behind the power curve you know maybe it's hopeless it's never hopeless it's never hopeless but this story is is very very important and it's up on americanpartisan.org um it's it's one that you really need to be paying close attention to because this is a shift in the national mood. Okay, the civil war that is looming on the horizon. Now, I want to I want to speak to this real quick. Um, you know, there was uh, a, a number of other indicators that were going on with this. So, you know, there, there is uh, some sociology that goes into this. There's uh, some other folks. Um, who are not conservatives by any stretch of the imagination. This is a, a Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. I mean, th this is about as left-wing as it gets, right? Uh, Carnegie is the, the uh, Andrew Carnegie, and, and that foundation is, is really the bastion of public broadcasting in America. So that tells you a lot right there. Um, but... They're all anticipating that, that the indicators for a civil conflict are here. You know, we have a, a schism, a major schism of the direction of the country. We have one half of the country, possibly more, that feels that the government of this nation no longer represents their interests. And you're not wrong. Right? You're not wrong. But that's both conservative and liberal. Really, in my opinion, what's more concerning, and in this article they're pointing towards uh, the sales of, of firearms and violence rates and, and what have you, and, and there's a lot that can be broken down there, right? But what I look at is the fact that we have a, a government that has a dual system of justice, okay? We've got Steve Bannon right now who was convicted, quote-unquote, by a kangaroo court in D.C. of essentially contempt of Congress, right? And so we'll see what comes out of the sentencing of this. Uh, he agreed to testify, and then they wouldn't allow him, right? They wouldn't allow him to testify. Then they say, oh, well, the, you know, this is contempt of, of Congress because you didn't testify. He agreed to testify. Okay, this entire January 6th committee is a farce. It is a fraud. And if they were really concerned about the sanctity and security of Washington, D.C., right? This isn't the modern-day Watergate. They've been, they, they were gunning with that for Trump for a long time, right? They want the modern-day Watergate. That's why they even uh, rolled out, warmed over Bob Woodward, right? Getting old, getting old Bob out there to even write a book, which was mostly fraudulent. Right? It was mostly ghost-written. But... We have this dual system of justice. Eric Holder, when he was the uh, the uh, attorney general for the Obama administration, was also convicted of contempt of Congress. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing. He did not serve not one second of jail time. He did not experience... Not one 
iota of a punishment. We'll see if the same will be true for Bannon, and I do not believe that it will be. I do not believe that it will be. It's They, they certainly judge shopped. They certainly have uh, really thrown the book at him as they did everybody else. This whole thing, this whole January 6th committee, is nothing more than a, a giant scare tactic and is designed to create as much chaos as it can right before the midterms. Okay, now I want to remind you that the midterms are not a foregone conclusion. Okay, there's a lot of pundits out there. There's a lot of conservative pundits out there saying, oh, look at how many Democrats are retiring. Oh, that does not mean that you're going to get conservatives coming in in their place. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that it was better the devil you knew because the Democrats are going to find bona fide communists to put in their place. That's what they're gunning for. Okay. These people are sock puppets. They, they trade them in and out. All right. So even still, this study is, is very interesting. Uh, this article is very interesting. And, um, you know, understand that it's not just the right that's saying this. The left is saying this as well. Okay, the left is looking for a civil insurrection. The left is looking for a populist revolution. That's what they're gearing up for. And their most radical elements that are out there are openly cheering this on. Now, I see this very often where you have uh, folks on the right, a lot of people in the, the quote-unquote conservative gun community, because there's left-wing gun community too, believe it or not. Uh, there absolutely is. They get out there and they train. They have their own people who cater to them. Uh, you know, you wouldn't see these folks really in a class like mine uh, because on the front end, what you know, what you hear is what you get. You know, it's it's, it's pretty genuine in its approach. They're not really going to come to that, but uh, they are definitely getting training. They're definitely out there uh, working on those skills, getting after it. And, and uh, this is not a threat to be taken lightly. So to all the, the pro-gun folks, and it, this is very prevalent among the older generation as well. Uh, I want to remind you folks that, that you postured a lot. This is just the truth here. You postured a lot in the 1990s, and you really didn't act on what on, on the promises that you were making. So the left is, okay, the left absolutely is. So I want to point that out. A lot of the, a lot of the folks saying, oh, oh, they're in for a shock. Are they? Are they? Um, I'm not so sure, but I do think that you need to take a threat seriously. Um, when when people make a threat on me, I take that very seriously, right? When I perceive a threat in my working environment, I take it very seriously. I do not underscore that threat in my own mind because that always precludes your own defeat. Okay. Oh, they're not that big of a deal. Oh, the Taliban is just a bunch of cave dwellers, right? Yeah, right. Right. Now they're running Afghanistan. Okay. So, you know, hey, this this is a thing. So over on the forum, forum.brushfeeder.org, we're having a very lively conversation regarding uh, this uh, specific topic, the, the half of Americans see a, a civil war on the horizon. We were having really a broader discussion on the possibility of populist revolt. In the U.S., and I absolutely see that coming, hundred uh, percent. And you got to understand that the nature of populism. There's populism among conservatives. There's populism among uh, the left. And traditionally, populism has been a, a left-wing term. That's been something that that you know we we traditionally look at populism through a left-wing lens. And there is certainly a, a, a very strong current of conservative populism right now as well, which is what we call the, the MAGA movement or the Make America Great Again movement. And uh, it, it's out there and it's out there in force. So when you have that schism and our institutions in this country are pillars, if you will, that, that a functional society are built upon and a coherent Structured justice system is one of the primary pillars by which you can base uh, the, the, the coherency of a society on. When that becomes corrupted, 
And it, when it no longer represents the interests of all of its citizens uniformly and justly, which it does not, a very strong case can be made that in this day and age, it does not. That's very concerning. Okay, that's very, very concerning. And that is certainly a precursor to more severe things to come. And uh, on that note, you know, we've got uh, left-wing extremists trying to stab uh, Representative Lee Zeldin uh, in the neck. Lee Zeldin is um, a representative from New York, conservative guy, Jewish guy. Uh, I really like Lee Zeldin. Um, he, he has consistently had some very strong opinions. Uh, he's led the charge on pro-Second Amendment causes in New York as well. I think that he's been doing a really good job. you got this David... G. Jacobonis, uh, and I saw the, I saw the, uh, the, the image from this. I thought that it was really interesting. This guy's got one of those uh, brass knuckle kind of things. It, it looks like a, a cat from uh, the eye line up. So it's got two little spikes that come out of the fingers, and, and you know you, you put two of your fingers, index finger. And uh, middle finger in there, and you, you know you can use it as an impact weapon, uh, a lot like you you would with brass knuckles, but it's it's just got two rings for the finger, right? So there's an image of him, and he's trying to use it. I thought that there was it was very interesting. So uh, whenever you have this kind of thing that happens, right? And, and I want to break this down a little bit. Whenever you have something like this, particularly in the West, there is a political statement that's being made. So I don't know a lot. I haven't dug deep in, into this uh, David Jack Bonus guy. Um, but I did see from the image that he was wearing an Iraqi uh, veterans hat. So Operation Iraqi Freedom, he's wearing that hat. So uh, there's you know, it, a, a lot like Vietnam vets and World War II vets, they have that black hat where it's got the gold letters that are emblazoned on it and your service ribbon. Um, this kid is is wearing that hat. I say kid, he's we're probably about the same age. Um, but he's wearing that hat. And so that tells me something. He's wearing flannel. That tells me something. His posturing and the way that he's, he's uh, getting ready to throw a punch, that tells me something. So it's very likely from his body language and his deportment in that still image. Now, Lee Zeldin, uh, Representative Zeldin, is uh, on the stage. He's giving his speech, and this guy jumps up there, right? And uh, this is why, you know, if, if you're working private security, working the crowd, right, and understanding context cues, who is not watching the subject who is not watching the principal when when they are giving a address out to the larger public who's not watching those are threats right when you're doing your threat scan those are threats because if they're not the ones that are watching why are they there what's their purpose uh, why are they there and um, you know there's certainly a difference between they just lean down and text on their phone or whatever, but if, if they're actively working the crowd, trying to close the distance, you know, this, these are all things that, that personal protection specialists all learn. And, uh, you know, we learn as well, you uh, know, in, in a former life in my background, we learned that as well. And it, it becomes a survival instinct. Uh, but anyway, guy jumps up on the stage, manages to get through security and he is armed with that impact weapon. He is wearing the message clothing, uh, Iraqi vet, you know, and, and wearing flannel, which, you know, it is New York. Flannel's very popular up there. I know it is kind of hot up there right now because um, it, it's generally that part of New York's about 10 degrees cooler on average than it is down here, uh, even in the, the peak of the summer months. But it, you know, not so much right now. They're in the middle of a heat wave. So this kid's wearing flannel and a black hat. So his, his flannel, that's a little hot for this time of the year. Why is he wearing that? Probably because he's concealing something. But also because flannel is very popular among the veteran crowd right now. That's kind of an indicator, right? Not always, because there's other context cues that are going into that. But He's he's wearing that. that. That's how he's dressed. That's his outward appearance. There are all these context cues that are coming together. And then he's got that Iraqi veteran hat on. 
right? So all of this stuff coming together tells me a story. This kid's a veteran. He served in Iraq. You know, don't know when. Don't know much else about him. But there's that. He's a disgruntled vet. And, you know, we're, we're automatically assuming that this guy's a left-wing, quote-unquote, extremist, right? Maybe he is. We don't really know. Okay, we don't really know. A lot can be told to us by the target, for sure, but not in all cases, right? Not in all cases. Maybe this kid just has it out for Republicans. He points at, you know, every Republican as responsible for uh, the failed uh, mission in Iraq, and, and he's bitter about it and whatever else. Like, we don't know. Okay, we don't know. But the point is, though, and, and my gut feeling, my instinct is that this guy probably is a left-wing guy. He was indoctrinated to that. He's probably uh, got out of the Army, was very isolated and bitter, and got hooked up with Veterans Against the War, which is a left-wing activist group uh, that caters specifically to recruiting vets, contemporary vets. Now, they were very active back in the Vietnam era, and then they came back in the early 2000s and their whole purpose in life, in, in the big scheme of things to the militant left, is getting a training cadre put together so that they can train their activists on the ground in militant tactics and techniques. And that's why also early on in, in uh, Rezava, the uh, Kurdish region with the YPG and the PKK, uh, early on they were recruiting out of their Veterans Against the War network guys who were battle-hardened, who had come from those combat arms and special operations background to go over there and set up their academy. Right? They were doing the same thing again in Ukraine as well, the early days of, of Ukraine. That is since, to my knowledge, it's mostly stopped. Uh, they're not taking as many international volunteers as they once were uh, in Ukraine. They completely put a stop to it in Syria uh, the, the Kurds asked everybody to, to leave that area because it was creating more problems than it was solving, which was predictable. Uh, but anyway, here you have this, this guy, right? So a lot of folks out there assume that every veteran is a conservative guy, right? That every gun enthusiast, every firearms enthusiast, everybody who is out there training and is training with, with contemporary weapons is conservative. And that's just not the case. Okay, that is just not the case. You cannot make these assumptions. All right, you cannot make these assumptions that the militant left is, oh man, they're going to get their ass handed to them and we've got all, we got all the guns. Right, I'm very, very uh, tired of hearing that over and over because that's also something that is espoused by people who aren't actually training, who aren't actually taking themselves and their adversaries seriously. And you need to be. I'm telling you, you need to be. So anyway, wrapping up this, uh, this uh, I'm not going to call it an assassination attempt, uh, because if, if you manage to uh, mortally wound someone with, with an impact tool like that, could you? Sure. Um, but it, th this is really more of a political statement than anything else. But uh, this kid's already out. He uh, had no bail because New York has some some really asinine uh, no bail laws that uh, practices judicial practices that are on the book. And this this is of course a left wing thing among the DAs. This has been something uh, in criminology circles. This has been an argument they've been making for a very long time uh, that bail is is uh, racist and that as an institution it is it disproportionately affects uh, minority populations and what have you. And what we see is that what it's actually causing is the aggregate crime level to go up in every jurisdiction where these practices are put in. But this is really outrageous. I mean, when you compare the experience that January 6th protesters have had and are continuing to have, uh, the folks who were up there on January 6th and the disproportionate treatment, uh, desperate treatment that they are getting um, by the media, by the judicial system, by the uh, D.C. courts, 
And this guy who is assaulting a sitting representative, right? He's actually assaulting him, right? No bail, very minor charges against him. Uh, he's not getting a book thrown at him. You know, this is extremely concerning, right? This is extremely concerning. So once more, you know, we, we see that we have this uh, dual system of justice. And um, it is, these are all precursors. These are all precursors to civil conflict. So, you know, we were talking about the, the likelihood of, of populist conflict, of populist revolt here in the United States. Yeah, it's extremely likely. It's extremely likely. And it is coming. Uh, it is absolutely coming. And there are a variety of different factors that are, are intersecting all together. And, uh, you know, then that begs the question, who benefits? Uh, who is going to benefit from this? I've got some interesting ideas on that that I'm going to be sharing in a uh, future episode right around the corner because we don't have time to dive too deep into it in this one. Um, so I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about another story on the tech end which has broke. And I think that this is really significant for a lot of reasons uh, which could, uh, should, uh, should not be very surprising to longtime listeners and readers of mine. But uh, Antifa is in a panic, a certain cell of Antifa in a panic, after being notified that Facebook gave their messages to the FBI. Uh, and, of course, this story originally written over on the Post Millennial and shared on AmericanPartisan.org. And I think the, the post-millennial is doing a great job. Um, you know, again, another younger generation um, that is taking up the reins. You know, millennials, of course, myself being a millennial and, and starting up American Partisan. Um, and, uh, you know, other folks that are out there that are really leading the charge on this. And it's great to see. But, uh the first thing I want to say before I dive too deep into this story is Antifa folks on the right have a, a, this kind of cartoonish view of Antifa being, uh, you know, a, a all seeing, all knowing, insurmountable foe. Like it, it ranges from that, which is silly uh, to, oh, you know, they, they don't know how to do anything and, you know, to heck with them and, we're just going to win, right? Which is, to me, equally as silly. But we have this this coherent view of them, thinking that you know Antifa, John Brown Gun Club, Redneck Revolt, what have you, is a Socialist Rifle Association uh, also is is all doing one thing, right? That they're all doing one thing. That this this one thing, they they have one practice behind what they do, and that that's just what they continue to default to. Don't. Get into the habit of making that assumption, okay? They are very fragmented. They are very compartmentalized as well. And, and what one cell is, is doing isn't necessarily the same as what everyone else is doing. Um, you know, I approach understanding them and understanding their, their uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures as uh, they are cellular in structure and what one group is doing is not what every one of them are doing. So you have to generate a new RFI or a request for information on each individual group that you observe because they, they have some overarching tactics, uh, techniques and procedures or TTPs. They also have uh, compartmentalized practices that they're doing that they change things up. So in this story, they had a quote unquote private group uh, with personal messages that were going back and forth on Facebook. And Facebook, you know, you don't really need to guess too, uh, too you don't need to think too deeply to uh, guess my thoughts on Facebook. You know, hey, it took me a little bit to get that one out. Um, because social media in general, uh, I had somebody on the right who, very well-intentioned guy, uh, very well-liked guy, loved this guy, and um, had him in class a couple of times, and uh, older gentleman, and he has a private group on a 
social media platform. And, um, you know, he told me the last time that he was in class, he told me that, you know, well, I, I have this, this private group together and the only person who knows that, that it's me is me, you know? And so I, I mean, he, he kind of had a shock on his face when I told him, no, there's other people who know who you are too. And he, he kind of gives me this, well, who, you know, bristles up a little bit. Well, who? I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Whoever's in the background of, of the social media platform that you're on, they know who you are. Okay. And, and then I, I started, and this is an ad hoc conversation we were having, uh, sipping a little bit of, of, uh, very fine whiskey. And I start explaining it, you know, I'm right there at the whiteboard and I start drawing out all of the ways that social media is mapping you on the back end and everything that it's doing. And, and he literally had his mind blown and it was a cognitive overload moment. It was, uh, Oh man, I, I don't, I can't even comprehend some of this. And listen, it's not, the guy's not stupid. He's an extremely intelligent person. But it's the fact that he's never been indoctrinated to the idea that all of the stuff can be tracked. Well, if it's private messages, it must be private, right? No. It just means that others that are using the front end of the system cannot see what it is. But I promise you on the back end, someone can. Whoever the administrator is can. And that's not all that they can see. They can see a lot of other stuff too. So uh, like who you're talking to, like your MAC address like your IP address, like that fictitious email that you were giving out that you think hides you, that is a blanket of immunity. No, no, no. Uh, no, it is not. I can see if I'm a network administrator, I can see what browser you are coming from, exactly how you have it configured. And if I'm really good about it, I can see what potential exploits you have as well. And that's just what a network administrator can do on their end. When you start talking about people who are real heavy hitters who are doing this maybe from the law enforcement end, uh, but intelligence agency end, and they're trying to map you, right? Because the FBI is also an intelligence agency, right? Investigative branches of law enforcement agencies are a type of intelligence agency. And they follow the same pattern of investigation that we would do if we were professionally collecting intelligence about a target. All right. So uh, these folks who it's really hard for me to believe that they were only using Facebook. Um, and I think that maybe part of this article is, is written kind of as disinformation. But even still, I'm talking about it because it, it, even if it's not, it serves as a yet another reminder. Don't be using social media as your means of organization. Okay, if you want to have a, a public persona on social media, maybe you're using that right for your surface activities, for your white side activities, right? Because we have white, red, and black. And I talk about this uh, lessons from the farm. I broke down uh, clandestine communications and and how that works specifically, right? But social media, if that's your thing, that certainly serves one purpose. But understand that there are inherent pitfalls when you are using it, okay? There's inherent security pitfalls. And, and if you're fine with giving that up, then okay, right? But do not get into the habit of assuming that just because you're on there and just because what they tell you to your face uh, in, in, uh, you know, in terms of Facebook, oh, well, we, we can just assume that Facebook is left-leaning because they were... Uh, at one time, they were purging a lot of conservative groups, right? That's not necessarily correct, right? Facebook is apolitical. Facebook is apolitical. Have they taken left-wing positions at different times? Yes, but you have to understand they are a tool of the state, okay? Twitter is a tool of the state, as we're finding out now, all right? They are a tool of the state because they were begun and utilized for intelligence agency purposes, it's a long history of this. Now, you can throw your, your uh, current favorite social media platform in there, whatever it is, right? I catch some flack because I talk about Gab. Gab is absolutely a good example. Um, it was built for a purpose. 
And it may not necessarily be the purpose that you think, that you assume, okay? Um, so with that said, right, with that said, this is also a significant story for another reason. And it was because of that assumption. It could very well be that in this article, um, it, it dives into uh, Antifa extremist Alyssa Azar. Uh, I don't know if that's her real name or not or, or what the deal is uh, with this young lady, but she's in the article here, and it was certainly some tweets that were coming from there. And Andy knows uh, involved uh, because he's the editor-at-large for the Post-Millennial. Uh, but... You know, she's currently facing felony riot and assault charges uh, out in Portland. You know, they got cocky. They got arrogant. They thought that they had all the overhead cover because they've been allowed to exist at a certain level up until now. But now on the left, Antifa is not in, in all of its offshoots in the militant left. They're not as politically convenient as they were under the Trump administration. Right, because you could have the militant left that was out there, but they're only going to be allowed to go so far. It looks like this young lady took it a little bit too far, right? Through her arrogance, through her hubris, here you go. Right, she's getting shut down. She's going to get the hammer thrown at her. Right. Well, you know, this this really is an indicator of the broader left out there, the militant left, right? They've been operating under a banner of, you know, we, we can get away with anything. And so they've had this hubris that has been imbued upon them. Well, the problem with that is, is that now that they are no longer as politically convenient as they once were, they're going to get their operations dialed back. And the most militant among them are getting cold, going to get cold quickly. This should serve as a warning to you. If you're on the right, if you 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 know want to get out there really active, getting into the protests and stuff on the right, you gotta be very careful. All right, you got to be very very careful about what you are doing. When it comes to organization, I promise you, every person that this young lady's been talking to is being combed meticulously. They are mapping out the entire insurgent network just like we would do overseas now you can sit and say well you know it's the fbi and they're pretty notorious for taking sides in in this uh contemporarily and you're absolutely right and i agree 100 percent. however just understand that the militant left is only going to allow going so far before they're going to have a calling in the ranks or they're going to keep people in line right the FBI is a centrist organization that favors the power structure. Whatever the power structure in the United States wants is what it is reflective of doing. It's where it gets its orders. Okay? So you got to understand that. They are going to protect. They are the vanguard. Right? They, they are protecting the palace. And so they're only going to allow activists to get so far. Right before they start to call them. But uh, I bring this story up because it underscores a couple of points that I think are critical. Um, once more, what I've been warning everybody about, you know, anybody who will listen regarding social media and its use organizationally, how you, you need to wean yourself off of it if you are organizing for purpose. Okay, if you're organizing for purpose, social media is not the way to go. Right? It's going to get you hemmed up. There's a lot of dangers there, but also that the left is really uh, through their hubris, they are learning some hard lessons. And I think that they're about to learn some even harder lessons. But when that starts to happen, you're going to see them become even more militant. All right. So keep that in mind. Uh, buckle up because it is certainly getting interesting. And uh, with the threat of populist revolt here in the United States. I think absolutely it's going to be coming from the left first, primarily. And, um, you know, there, there will be a backlash. But again, uh, that is a topic I've talked about a lot in the past. And we'll be breaking that down more in the very, very near future. So with uh, five minutes left for the close of the episode, 
I want to very quickly uh, review a show that has been out. I've got a bunch of emails, people that were um, asking me. There's a couple of uh, shows that are out right now that are, that are real popular. And um, typically, I'm not a big entertainment guy. Uh, you know, but there are some shows out right now that, that I think are very valuable to watch frequently. I'll get questions. Uh, people will ask, well, you know, Hey, um, uh, you know, what shows could we watch and gain some lessons from the Americans, of course, which I think is, is one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Um, brilliantly acted. It was, is a wonderful, wonderful show, but it was also a lot of very real tradecraft that went into that as well. Uh, but currently, you know, the terminal list is out. Chris Pratt, the, uh, several of the, the left wing critics, whatever. I don't really care about film critics. I think that they're all kind of, uh, pond scum, but, um, you know, that's out there. I haven't watched it closely yet. Uh, broke down a little bit from the first episode and, uh, liked it, but I haven't had a lot of free time, but what I have been watching. What got me hooked was a show called The Old Man. Of course, it's got Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow as the headliners of the show. Jeff Bridges, uh, Big Lebowski, Starman back in the day. Uh, I, I absolutely love Jeff Bridges, his uh, portrayal in True Grit, of course, which was amazing. Uh, one of my favorite films, Hell or High Water, uh, playing... Um, uh, a Texas Ranger close to retirement in that film. Um, brilliant actor. And so when I saw that the show was coming out and it was kind of uh, Jeff Bridges's take on the, the aging spy genre, you know, that was made very famous by Liam Neeson with Taken. Um, of course, I was hooked. Uh, need to watch this. Looked great. John Lithgow, of course, who's a, a legendary actor as well. Uh, I knew that this was going to be good, and so going into it, the show's excellent. Uh, the, the acting is excellent. A everything is is very wonderfully done. The the scenes are beautifully shot. It's a great great show. But I want to approach this review from kind of the the tradecraft aspects of it. So. Uh, Bridges plays a guy named Dan Chase, who is a former CIA operative who was active in Afghanistan in the 80s with uh, the Soviet-Afghan War. And Harold Harper, who's played by John Lithgow, is his former handler. Uh, when he was in the CIA, he was a case officer who is um, you know, now the deputy director for the FBI. And... Uh, Chase is living in a small New England town uh, anonymously, uh, as anonymously as can be, flying under the radar, and all of a sudden an assassin is sent to his home. And we know that uh, he's talking to his daughter on several different phones. Every time that he talks to her on a phone, he destroys it. Um, there's a number of other tradecraft elements that go into uh, the show and, and the plot line of the show early on. And then we begin uh, understanding a little bit about Dan Chase, specifically his past and what he was doing in Afghanistan. Um, from the tradecraft end, you know, a lot is, is learned about his daughter. A lot's learned about uh, other uh, people in, in the series and plot elements. I'm not going to give any of that away uh, because the story is extremely good. But the... The tradecraft elements. So, you know, as folks who have listened to me and have listened to the Lessons from the Farm series and things uh, that I've written, uh, the stuff that I've taught in class know, talking on phones is not really uh, the way that you would do that, even for aging spies. Uh, there's plenty of back channels that are out there. There's plenty of... Um, you know, apps that are, you know, we can use on Wi-Fi only devices and we can communicate via Wi-Fi. So I think uh, the writers of the show, of course, they were uh, basing the show off of uh, the old man, the book. And, 
you know, I, I haven't done really my homework. I haven't read that book. Uh, it's it's not that old, but tradecraft aspects I think could have been a little bit better. Could have been handled a little bit better. Uh, the all-seeing, all-knowing, insurmountable uh, reach of the the inter-service intelligence agencies altogether, uh, which Harold Harper, as deputy director of the FBI, uh, in in this film, he takes control of. That's not necessarily realistic either. How uh, they all of a sudden get anybody or everybody's phone number right off the bat. <sighs> That's not really realistic. That's not how these things work. Uh, tracking devices on cars. I thought that this was really humorous because Harold Harper decides to call Dan Chase at one point and say, hey, you know, we've got your phone and there's also a tracking device on your car. Well, I thought that that was really interesting because he's always seen with his phone and his phone is a type of tracking device. So if you already have his phone and it's already on him, and he's been in every scene where he's been talking on it, the same phone. What's the point of putting a tracking device on the guy's car? It doesn't really uh, that really make a lot of sense to me. I thought that that was kind of funny. Um, that that's not really the way that it would work in real life. If you already have their phone, you've already got their phone, and you also wouldn't call the target, even if it's a target that that you used to know intimately well as uh, the two characters that are here you know, know one another. Uh, they used to work with one another in a very close proximity uh, with uh, Harold Harper running the Afghan operation and Dan Chase being the operative on the ground that is uh, close to this warlord in, in the Panjshir Valley fighting the Soviets. You know, for dramatic effect, oh, we're, you know, we're going to call you and we're going to tell you that there's a tracking device on your car you're not going to burn yourself. That's not the way things go. You know, if you're being surveilled, whoever's conducting the surveillance is never going to burn themselves, uh, which is also known as a soft compromise. They're never going to do that. Uh, they're never going to come out, even if it's somebody you know well, uh, you know, and you're, you're playing the spy game, snooping and pooping on them, right? You're, you're not going to do that. You're not going to let them know that you're there. You're just going to close in on them, and that's going to be that. Uh, so I thought that that was really funny. I think the, uh, early on the tradecraft aspects, they could have done a better job. Um, as the series progresses, of course, great story, great story. Um, wonderfully acted the, 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 you know, as we would expect from the actors that are in this show, um, assassins are, are hired. It's very interesting how they play into it and how uh, assets of that nature are recruited in. That was somewhat accurate in um, how that was portrayed as you're essentially an expendable asset, and, and that's that. So, uh, again, definitely well worth the watch. Uh, well worth the watch. Brilliantly acted, wonderfully shot, great story, um, but... Unlike the Americans, I would say unlike what little bit of the, the terminal list that I saw, um, this one I don't necessarily think I would be getting tradecraft lessons from. Uh, so it's really good for the entertainment value. Maybe not so much anything else. Uh, maybe not so much anything else. So anyhow, uh, with that said, a little bit of weekend entertainment, something that's good that first season of The Old Man very good to sit and binge watch you and, and your significant other cuddled up on the couch in the AC trying to stay cool. Folks, anyhow, uh, God bless all of you. Thank you for being back with us and making Radio Contra what it is. I've got a lot of incredible things that are going to be in the works that are going to be coming out very, very soon. Um Shirts, logo items, I've got some other very, very cool things that are coming down the pipe uh, for all of you that want to be rocking brush beater gear and putting it out there and putting the good word out there. I've got a lot of stuff that is going to be hitting the market very, very soon for all of you, and I'm excited to bring it out. Anyhow, folks, with that said, God bless, stay safe, and I will be talking to you again.
very, very soon. This is NC Scout. Out. Back away!